4, that you should not be puffed up on behalf of one against another. For who makes you to differ from another, and what do you have that you did not receive? Father, again, we thank you for your plan of redemption. We thank you that you have given us understanding into your plan. Lord, that you've given us an understanding to who you are. Father, thank you that you have shown us that, that you are the creator, that Christ is the sustainer, that we have been bought with the price, that it was because of his sacrifice and your salvation that we stand righteous before you. Father, again, we thank you for just showing us that we have nothing outside of yourself, that that you have given us all the things that we have, that whether it be something physical or spiritual, it comes from you. Lord, remind us of this, because even though we know that's true, we so often forget that. Lord, remind us of how we should minister to one another, not putting one up on a pedestal or even putting ourselves up. Lord, help us to see ourselves as a servant, as a slave. Lord, we are sons and daughters of the Most High. We are joint heirs with you, and yet, as we walk among your people, help us to have the right identity, the right perspective of of what we should expect of being here on this earth. And Lord, help us to be servants, to truly give ourselves in service to you. Again, uh, we ask that you would help us to be teachable, that your spirit would convict us in areas that need to be convicted of, and, and that we would quickly repent and move in the direction of walking with you. And Lord, we want to change and grow to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask that your way and your will would be done in our lives, in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I think with all the commotion I heard earlier, I think the kids are gone. Is that correct? (laughs) Junior church can be dismissed. They're gone. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at uh, who we really are. Now again, we are... Sons and daughters of the Most High, we are joint heirs with Christ. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are saved. But next week we have a great um, privilege of being able to participate in a um, business meeting. And we're going to be discussing, as Mike was saying, uh, both the building and... Also voting on the associate. By the way, those that were handed out, obviously, those were absentee ballots. So again, if you sign that, don't vote again next week. Uh, we don't want to have a double. And hopefully, you will not sign the absentee and say, great, I don't have to come to church next week. <laughs> I mean, the idea is we participate. We're going to have some other things in the meeting. But again, we're going to, we're going to be voting on uh, the possibility of bringing on Ken Shutt as associate pastor. And I believe that it is important to have a proper view of him as he comes into possibly uh, ministering here. In fact, I think it's important to have a proper view of, of any associate pastor, of any pastor, of any elder, of any deacon. In other words, we should have a proper perspective of leadership in the church as, as a whole. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in First Corinthians 4. Um, but not only that, we... You know, remember what Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And part of that imitation, that following after is, as Paul has, will present himself in this text as a servant, as a steward, that that really should trickle down, not just to the leadership, not just to the elders and deacons and pastors, but also to each one of us, right down to the uh, children. We should be looking at ourselves as as servants, as stewards of God. And I had an opportunity today to, to, uh, to observe that. By the way, I say this and I'm preaching this for this reason. Sometimes when a pastor comes to a church, an associate, a youth pastor, whatever it might be, uh, sometimes people, rather than getting more focused on their particular ministry, become less. Like this. It's almost like a baton. <laughs> I'm just, then, you know, I just take it and run with it. 
And when it comes to ministry, we don't want to be handing off what God has given to us. We're asking Him and me, myself, and hopefully you're asking the elders, no, help me to be better at what God has gifted me in. So we're not looking to hand the baton off to perhaps an associate or myself or any of the elders. No, this uh, today when I came in, I, w- I found out that uh, uh, Hannah, who usually teaches uh, Tyler time, um, uh, broke her foot. Well, foot or toe? Foot. Anyway, couldn't be here. Couldn't be here. This is why I bring it up. It's exactly what the message is all about. I asked an individual who was a true servant at heart. Yep, I'll do it. Took it. Is teaching it. She's not here. Teaching Tyler time in room five. While I was in room five talking to, to the, 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 the three and four year old Sunday school teacher, because we were trying to set that up, noticed there was a, a young boy um, in need of some personal attention. Okay, personal attention. In other words, this is a three year old in need of personal attention. Okay, do you know what I mean by personal attention? I mean, like, you have to be right there. Okay. Uh, not easy, you know, um, not sitting like some of the young girls were just, you know, coloring along. I mean, on the floor, up around, you know, sometimes even have to be careful, you know, don't let them hit you. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that because he has special needs and that we want to serve everyone, right? Not just people who are easy. Um, but this is what interested me. Uh, I happen to come out and, you know, I'm looking around, you know, because like... Now, this is one baton I am going to be happy for. If we get an associate, that would be his responsibility. Um, but the point is, is uh, I found one of the teens, actually not even a teen, he's a 12-year-old. And I said, you know what, do you think you could do this? Just sit in there, sit right beside this young man. He might drool, wipe it up, rub his back. Just keep him focused on this. He's going to get down, he's going to... And, and the 12-year-old did. And I thought... A servant attitude. That's a servant attitude. He didn't do what he thought. He could have sat, you know, very comfortably in a chair, but he wanted to be a servant. Well, he probably did it because I was asking him. He did it with fear and trembling. You know, I, 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 I'm sure he did. I popped in three or four times, and I looked in the window, and he'd look, you know, like this. And I said, you know, you can do it. You know, and a couple of times I had to go in, you know, you know keep the hand going, you know. Um, but you know what? We want to be what this text says. We want to be that servant. We want to be that steward. Because Paul said, listen, as a leader in the church, we don't want to act like the Gentiles. See, the Gentiles have kings, and the kings lord it over their subjects. They're the king. They're the supreme. They're the top dog. But look at what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Now again, this is the identity of God's fellow laborers. And if you want to fill that in, his identity. Before I even tell you what these words, and we've looked at this before, but this week I decided to go a lot deeper and I wanted to really see everything that Paul was talking about. He says the word consider. It's loganizomai. The point is this, it's a math term. Simple math would say 2 plus 2 equals 6. No. 2 plus 2 equals 4. It always is 4. It's never anything but 4. Very precise. 2 plus 2 equals 4. This is that type of a term. In other words, when he says, let a man so consider, by the way, that's the key verb. It's in the imperative. It's, uh, it's present tense, always happens, continuous. Let people look at us like this. Let them understand that this is who we are. This is our identity. Know this. This word consider means like this. Know this to be true. It's always true. This is how we need to see ourselves. And as Paul, the great apostle, Paul would say, this is how I need to see myself. This is how you need to look at us. I would say again, as Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We also should be imitators of Paul. We all should be imitators. In fact, he says, 
Uh, let a man so consider us. And that word us brings us right back to the very beginning of chapter 3. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's kind of think of what this, the context of this passage is. Paul tells him in chapter 3, verse 1, you're not spiritual, you're carnal, <laughs> you're babes. Remember the Corinthians, carnal Corinthians? They were carnal, they were babies, they were always whining, they were always trying you know, fight. Who's top dog? Who's number one? Look at verse 3. You're carnal, where there is envy, there's strife, there's divisions among you. By the way, you find a church where there's a lot of car- uh, carnality, you're going to find strife and envy. By the way, you find maturity and you find unity. But this is the Corinthian church. And, and see, part of this envy and strife, look at what they were doing. For when one says, I am of Paul, another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? I mean, you're connecting yourself with humans, sinners, who were saved by God's grace, and yet you're like saying, it's kind of like in our day and age, if, you, if I was to say this, I am of John MacArthur, I follow him. He's the only guy, even, I don't even care about the rest. Or P- John Piper, um, I am of Mark Driscoll, you know who Mark Driscoll is? Um, I am of Beth Moore, if you're a woman. You know, these little factions and, you know, whatever he says has to be right because that's what, you know, I mean, he said it. And you get into all these and he's, look at verse 5, who then is Paul? Who then is Apollos? But minister servants through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Now catch what he's saying, as the curios, as the Lord. He's the one that gave the information and awakened the heart and that's why they're serving so then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters is, are one. They're just part of the process. And each, one of, uh, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Underline that word labor. See, there's work involved. And then the, verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. That's why this, there's going to give you three points today. The first of all, the identity of God's fellow workers or laborers. See, because it really goes back to this. He's, he's looking at a carnal group of Christians. By the way, I don't look at you as a carnal group. But you know what? If we're going to be a mature group of Christians, we have to have Paul's attitude starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. See, we don't want to... We want to be able to do as verse 21 says, Therefore, let no one boast in men... Or I would say this, let no one boast in themselves. So what is this identity? How should, how should we look at ourselves? Because Paul would say this, it is ridiculous and destructive to argue over who is the most honored of Christians. We shouldn't look and we, sh- we shouldn't even put people on pedestals. I, I think human nature is that we do. I think many times we almost find solace and comfort in knowing, well, this is who I follow in the sense of, you know, helping me out with theology. And by the way, God has gifted great men. I, I love uh, so many of the great men that God has uh, given to the church. But again, remember, the master is Jesus Christ, right? That's who we follow. We can't get our eyes on man. Well, the first thing is, we must see ourselves as a servant of Christ. That's herpetes. Again, the King James says minister, but again, this is that common, not common, but we've talked about it a number of times, underrower. Back in the ancient world, they had these huge ships. Many times there were cargo ships. Uh, many of them were warships. Sometimes they had just one level. Many times they had level one, two, and three if they were, you know, huge. And they, they needed rowers. And this was considered the under rower. So if you had a big ship, level one and two, or level one, two, and three, this was the, the last of the last rowers. Now, I was going to give you a picture. And I thought, you know what? I can't even do it justice. I can't give you a picture of how, how this galley slave, because that's the word, would even look. They, because any picture you look up on the internet is like Hollywoodized. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the Ben-Hur, you know, and he's out, you know, but he's clean. And they would literally chain these men, and they were usually prisoners, uh, captured in war. They would pr- uh, literally chain them to their oar. See, because what they found out is many times, many of these were Christians, and when other ships that were Christians would come by, they would, if they didn't chain them to their oar, they would actually turn against the ship they were um, enslaved to and go against 
the, uh, the official, I mean, the, the captain, and then, uh, you know, try to get to the next ship. So they would chain him, and they would chain, and, and, and that you were chained from the start of the, when the boat left dock till it, it, it came back, which is many times six to eight months. They were chained to their oar, working 12, 14 hours a day. There would be a, a main, uh, usually probably even a slave that would have a whip. And if again, you did not do as, as, as was required, they would whip you. And if you didn't keep up, after a certain number of times of whipping, they would literally just throw you overboard middle of the ocean, you would die. Um, as one man said, it was the hardest labor, the cruelest treatment, the least appreciation in, in general, the most hopeless existence of all slaves. I mean, here's a captured prisoner forced to do the, 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 the hardest and the, 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 just the, the dirtiest Food was given, brought to you, which is just very insignificant bread and, and water. Um, filth from up top would fall. If you had to relieve yourself, it was there. I mean, you were there. You, you didn't take a shower at night. I mean, that's the word that Paul uses. And that's why I didn't even put it up on the thing. I, can't, I, I couldn't come across any picture that even did it justice. You'd you know, see some you know, handsome Charlton Heston, you know. <laughs> No. By the way, for you young kids, you know, Ben-Hur. By the way, I was talking to a young kid recently, a younger uh, teenager, and I said, you know, like, do you know who Barney Fife is? And like, they didn't even know Barney Fife. I mean, we're losing a generation here. (laughs) All right, getting back to galley slaves. See, they didn't live long. But, you know, there's a lot of characteristics there. Captured. Owned, hard, dirty. I mean, when it comes to dealing with people in the ministry, God has captured us. Thankfully, he's the good shepherd. Thankfully, God is our father. But he puts us into a very hard situation. He leaves us in a very hard situation. We're in the world. And sometimes I think we want to be treated like the king, lorded over. And, and Paul's saying, listen, that's not how it is. Uh, They hated him, they're going to hate you. He has put you into service, but you're his slave, and he uses herpetes, a galley slave, an underroar. That's how I need to... They they did menial work, they were were unenvied, they were despised. I mean, nobody, you know, you would just almost die before you even got to the ship because you did not want to be there. But the point is, is this. You were owned. And since you were owned... It, this word became not just of the, 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 the hardness of it all and stuff, but it came to be used of a term of, of a subordinate. In other words, these uh, servants were subordinate to the master of the ship. And we are subordinate to the authority of Christ. In fact, this is how both of these words are ownership words with a different emphasis. We are owned by Christ, but in this, this word has the emphasis of saying, and we are subordinate to him. We take orders from him. Our primary calling is to serve Jesus Christ. We are directed by Christ. We live for Christ. We need to be available to Christ. We need to be willing to do whatever he wants us to do. He is our focus. He is the foremost. He is the, the, the primary now, just think of your life this last week. Is that how you saw yourself? Yes, my mission this week was, what does Jesus want? What does he want me to do? Now again, many pastors have become servants to the church. <laughs> now, now wait a second. I thought that's what you're saying. Well, you're talking about servant. No, no, I'm saying we are servants to Christ. But sometimes we become servants to the church. Do we serve the church? Yes. Do the elders serve the church? Yes. But sometimes the church and the people of the church become the big focus. They become the big audience. They're the ones we're trying to please. I hope when Ken comes, if he does, if, you know, if the vote's such as that, that we would encourage each other, along with the elders, along with the deacons. Listen, remember, our, 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 our person, the person we want to uh, please is Christ. See, sometimes we try to 
chase after, I, I would say, the worldly success of numbers or wealth or popularity or prestige. You know, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of true ministry, of truly trying to please Christ. So Paul brings us right back to a very simple thing. Hey, we are just under rowers. By the way, for you, it's not just, again, the, the pastors I'm talking about. For Christians, for just the average Christian, you see yourself as a slave. A slave to Christ. Or do you see yourself as a slave to your job? Or to your profession? Or to your possessions? See, again, if we allow this to happen, then we are getting our identity, as one guy said this, our identity and our significance from them. And when we lose one of them, you know, we lose something that we think is our right, it diminishes our, what we think, our, our value. No, no. Paul says, listen, you, you were bought, and, and you're, just look at yourself as an under rower. And just become submitted, uh, subordinate to him, submissive to him. It, it solves all kinds of problems. This, this concept solves all kinds of problems in our life. I'm no longer trying to get my fair share. You know, it just puts me on the level of, well, what we talked about last week, walk worthy of the Lord. First word, humility. It just gives us an understanding. You know, I came in this world with nothing. I leave with nothing. As long as my eyes are set on Christ walking with him, if I'm pleasing him, everything else is okay. (laughs) And again, your relationships and everything, it will be seen whether or not you are a true servant. It's interesting that when Paul was explaining his salvation experience to the king, uh, Acts 26, he says this, but rise and stand on your feet. I mean, he's he's saying, this is what happened. I was on the Damascus road, and this is what I heard. Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you an herpetes. In other words, Jesus, on the road to Damascus, to Paul, when he talked to Paul, he actually used that word right there. He said, I am, I'm here to call you into service as an under rower. I found that very interesting. That I didn't realize that was the word used. And then he says, to make you a herpetes and a witness, which is, we get our word martos, martyr. Paul, I'm calling you into service, and let me just tell you right now, it's going to be very difficult, and you, you're going to die. Martos, you're a witness. Of both the things which you have seen and the things which I have yet to reveal to you. That's what that's how it ends. So I'm I don't have any rights. I've been bought with a price. I need to make sure that I'm on walking for him, not for myself. So it doesn't matter the politics. See, this this is why it's so important, because all these things that we worry about, every time we're worrying, you know what it shows us? We're not a herpetes. We don't really see ourselves as owned by another only to accomplish his will. We have all these agenda items. And man, if I lose this and if it doesn't work this way, what's going to happen to me? That's not the issue. The guy in the bottom of the boat, well, there was only one thing that that guy, he was rowing 12, 14 hours a day. He would start when the master told him to start. And he would end when they said it was, you know, and they would just sit there. And all he had to do all day was row. He couldn't move. He was given what he needed. His only purpose in life was to please the master. That was his only purpose. And he did it with, I put it in your thing, he did it with humility. Now again, I'm not talking him, I'm now talking Paul. We serve out of humility. Again, going back to even last week's message, with all lowliness. But in Acts 20, Paul said this, serving the Lord with all humility. We do it out of necessity. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity, the word is duty, has been laid upon me. Duty. It's something that I've been called into. It's not that I have an option. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So this is a calling. This is not just work. And I think for each one of us we have to see this. Don't look at it like work. It's, It's a calling. What has God called you to do? Oh, yes, you might be, you know, you're doing your job and you have your home and you have your children. And that's part of the calling, by the way, children, you know. But I mean, what has God gifted you to? And do you see it as like, or I need to serve the master with humility out of necessity. 
I see people pick up the the baton, as it were, and run for a while doing this particular service, and then maybe they get burned out. Maybe it's because people treat them like slaves. <laughs> see, some, we, you know if you've got the heart of a herpetes, a galley slave, a servant, you know you've got the heart of one on how you react when people treat you like one. See, sometimes it's through, it's not humility, and therefore we get frustrated and the person drops off, and it's like, wait a second here. No, no, God was trying to stretch you. God wanted to show you it's not about you. It's not about your convenience. It's a calling. It's not, it's almost like a lifestyle. So we do it humbly, out of necessity. In fact, 2 Corinthians 6 says, it's out of reality. In other words, this is the reality of ministry. Paul's saying, you know, this is what's happened to me, this will be what happens to you. And he says, we can expect this. These are the words he uses. Affliction, hardship, distress, beatings, imprisonment, turmoil, laboring, sleepless, hunger. Oh, brother. So he's called me into that? I mean, in America so far, we haven't had to deal with this. I think it's coming pretty quick. That's the reality. But what? what? I didn't read the whole verse. I didn't read the next verse. As well as, this is the thing, as well as purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, in other words, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, love, the word of truth, the power of God, and the weapons of righteousness. Do you see what he's saying? That's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, let's see here, make sure, chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Oh yes, you're going to have to endure much, But I'm right there with you. You will see the power like you have never seen and love like you have never seen because you are walking with me. Many of us don't, we are not stretched and are growing because we're not being stretched. (laughs) We're not growing because we're not being stretched. We come to something that is uncomfortable and we immediately move away from that. Well, no, the Lord's not calling me to do that. The 12-year-old could have very easily looked at the little boy, who again is a great blessing. No, the Lord's not calling me to that. I could see it in his eyes. He was like this. But I bet you, I mean, I'm going to talk to him after the service, and I bet you I'll find out, you know, that was a blessing. He was stretched. Some of you have never served, let's say, in an Olympian, or, by the way, this is not a pitch for uh, service, but I will say this. Some of you who have never considered it should be doing it because that's what God wants you to do. And every time it comes up, you uh, But like the Olympian club on Sunday night or the Word of Life uh, Epic Club, or counseling, or Sunday school, I don't know, or, or writing that letter to the person that's in the, or going up to see the person in the hospital, or, or that person in the nursing home. And, and one thing that's been hitting me, because uh, when I went to see Kyle, I thought, you know, we need a prison ministry. Well, I'll tell you what, when you see the doors, and you know that you're in, and you know, but some of you may be called to prison ministry. Boy, that, what a great opportunity. Uh, nursing home. See, I'm, the ministries don't all happen within the church. We need to get more, you know, let's affect the world. But you know what? A lot of these things are very uncomfortable. You may even be treated like a herpetes. Okay? It might be hard and dirty, but you know what the point is? The reality is, as we labor in turmoil... He gives us knowledge and patience and kindness and love and all those other blessings. The blessings come through the suffering that we even have to endure for the ministry. So, we are a servant. Number two, we are stewards. Stewards of the mysteries. Stewards of the mysteries. Again, the word steward is... Uh, or let's take the word mystery. It's, it's really referring to the scriptures. I could give you more, but... The bottom line is it's the, it's the scriptures. And remember what Paul said over in Acts chapter 20. He says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The idea is this, that God who owns us and has written his word, so it's his, has allowed us. And he's really talking to pastors here, which then again, we all have to imitate the leaders. And say, you know what? You have, you, you've got the, the mysteries of God. Now be a good steward of it. You don't own it. You don't own the scriptures. In fact, you can't manipulate the scriptures. Sometimes teachers try to manipulate for their purposes, prove their point. No, no. It's the word of God. It's his. But now, you, you don't create the meal, but you need to serve the meal. Do you get the difference? You, you gotta serve the meal. 
And that's what he is talking about when he's saying be a steward. A steward is a, literally the word means house law or house manager. It came to mean manager. It was the person, many times it was a free person, sometimes it was even a slave. They'd go to a slave market, buy a slave, they'd bring him home. I'm talking a rich guy. And the guy would say, listen, I've got business to do. I'm going to be gone for the next two months. You're in charge. You're going to, you will be held accountable, but you're in charge of this home. You're in charge of the other slaves. You're in charge of the fields and where the flocks are. You're in charge of the house and everything. And, and I'm putting you in charge. I've, you know, they'll, they would give him the expectation. And then he would be the house manager. By the way, that slave who was the house manager, the steward, you don't expect him to do this. Like, as you see the, the camel go over the, the hill, you know, that was carrying the master. I don't expect the steward to go like this. Yeah, let's party. Why? Because the master was coming home. See, he was just gone for a short time. And he's coming home. And when he comes home, you're going to give him an accounting. How did you run my home? How did you run the field? How did you take care of my family? By the way, for us, we're stewards of the mysteries in this sense. Your parent, how are you teaching the kids? Are you passing the baton? Do they understand that I'm God? God is saying. Do you understand that Jesus Christ is God? That he's the Savior? You know, how are you passing truth on? So we are stewards of the mysteries of God. I mean, that plays out as, as a husband, wife, as a parent to a child, even as a, par- uh, a grandparent. I'm a grandparent now. And I'm... <laughs> wait, wait is, there, is there a smirk? Don't don't start it. Um, but the point is, is I need to be praying for my grandkids and that they will come to know the Lord and walk in His ways. And I am only a steward. You are only a steward. And now Paul is saying, look, just look at us as slaves and stewards. Again, He's our own, He's the owner. But whereas the first word emphasized authority, we were under His authority. This word. Um, uh, represents or emphasizes accountability. That's the, in fact, I didn't put that on your outline, but those are two key words. The first one emphasizes authority. The second word, steward, emphasizes accountability. We are accountable. It's an accountability issue. He's given us his word. We've been purchased by his own blood. He's put us in charge of ministering to the church. And I'm talking as elders and deacons. And the question is, are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be a faithful manager? Not an owner. Sometimes we think we're owners. See, we don't see our ministry here as our church. It's Christ's church. He purchased it. So we must take God's revealed word and dispense it to God's household. To serve Christ means that we need to obey him. Okay, so it's me saying, listen, this is not mine. I just got to serve it. I'm not going to create the meal. I'm just going to serve the meal. I've got to study hard. Because I'm going to be held accountable. But now I'm presenting, and it's not just about knowing. I think the problem in the American church, we know a lot and sometimes do very little. And I don't mean just service there. I mean obedience. That's why in 2 Timothy 2.15, that's probably not written down, but 2 Timothy 2.15, this was the uh, Awana verse. How many of you remember Awana? How many of you are Awana leaders? This is the verse. This is the key. 2 Timothy, be diligent. To present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Probably a lot of you even know it by heart. But let me break it down a little bit. He says, be diligent, or the word is exert yourself. Exert yourself to present yourself. Exert yourself to present yourself approved to God. That's the, that is the key. Are we exerting ourselves to be approved by him? Or do we get so busy in life, we just forget, you know what? He's the owner. He's gone to a distant um, place, but he's coming back, and we will give an account. So exert yourself to present yourself approved to God, a laborer or a worker. I mean, that's the word. Energy. It takes energy. It takes work. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm so tired after work. The only way I can even recover is just watch three hours of TV at night. Just give me the remote. 
wait a second here. I, okay, I understand rest and all that. But, you know, sometimes we waste. We're wasting huge chunks of our life, and yet God says, I'm giving you 24 hours in a day. Understand, I'm coming back. Don't have this mentality. Yeah, let's party. Uh, wait, you know, we look at that serving, we say, you're so foolish. But maybe we're doing the same thing in, um, in the American way. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Why? Because he is rightly divided. That word divided means to cut straight. He took the scriptures, he cut it straight. He gave it out as it was given to him. He didn't manipulate it. He didn't make errors of it. You know what I'm saying? He gave it out straight. Now that's what we're called to do, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, let's put these two together. I know I've spent a lot of time on this number one. In fact, our time is almost gone. But the idea is this. is just as steward, our servants, hypertes, are owned by nothing or by, uh, by no one. Excuse me. Just as a servant, we are owned by nothing and no one except Christ. Okay, that's the whole point of that. We are owned only by Christ. Nothing should own us. For some of us, our jobs literally own us. That's what we think about. That's what we meditate on. That's what we're worried about. Or it might even be family. It could even be that. But the point is, we should be consumed with what does Christ think. The second word, steward, speaks of we must accept the reality that we own nothing. That's what it's saying. See, we are stewards of the mysteries. But really, that word steward means we're a manager. We are a manager of everything, or of everything and own nothing. That's why I read that 1 Corinthians 4, 7, before our prayer. What do you have that you did not receive? Man, that, that is just a life-changing concept. We are a manager of anything that you have. And anything that you have, whether it's finances, the relationships that you have, the homes, the businesses, the family even, again, relationships, that has been given to you by God. And you're a manager. And it will be taken away from you. We all know at death it will be taken away. And therefore, let's be good stewards along this track because we are only managers. And when we find ourselves worrying, I remember the late uh, Larry Burkett, he used to say this, when you worry, remember, you've just fallen into the category of owner. When you worry, because now you're starting to say, it's not God's, it really is yours. And I always found that both convicting and Lord, Lord, help me here. So again, it's not my church and my program and my job and my house and my family and my business and my health. No, no. We can't find our significance. We can't find our happiness. We can't even find our fulfillment in that. In fact, it's very dangerous if you do. We have a term in the secular world of uh, midlife crises. You know what midlife crises is many times? It's a man who banked on the wrong things and said this is what's really important in life and then he gets 45 or 50 and starts realizing my life's coming to an end but there's no fulfillment in that. I thought there was going to be this fulfillment and it wasn't. Why? Because for years he had his eyes not set on Christ if he was a Christian but on what the world said was important. See, true success is not that. True success is following him. In fact, true success is found in the next verse. The requirement of God's fellow laborers. What's the requirement? Moreover, it is required in stewards. Now, by the way, he's not, he's not looking back on slave and steward. He's really focusing on this concept of steward, manager. The requirement of a steward. What? Is requ- moreover, is required. It is demanded, i.e., in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to know the scriptures and do the scriptures and know the God of the scriptures. That's what's, that's what's required. That's what success is. Success is not only knowing the scriptures and knowing the God of the scriptures, but then obeying the scriptures and the God of the scriptures. Got to obey. To obey is what? Better than sacrifice. Let me give you a story. Moses struck the rock and water flowed out. Remember that, uh, Exodus 17. Water flowed out. He was the hero. Israel was watered, as it were. They had, you know, in, in, a, in a desert land without water, how much is water worth? Well, water is worth whatever you have to get the water, right? And he was obedient. That's Exodus 17. 
40 years later, now, okay, he's the hero. 40 years later, this is what happened. Numbers 20. After that dramatic incident at Rephidim, again, 40 years before, where God ordered Moses to strike the rock, providing the parched Israelites with water, Moses again faced a thirsty people. Bitter accusations were hurled at Moses. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. You know, gripers and complainers. Verse 4, Why have you brought us up, uh, brought up the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? Distraught, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before God, and God gave these instructions. This is what he said. Take the rod. You and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. I mean, that was pretty simple. Just take the rock, but speak. And it's going to come out. It's going to gush. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and the animals. So Moses took the rod and gathered all the Israelites around him. By the way... (coughs) The very moment, I mean, all he had to do was speak. It was going to, I mean, and he was going to become the hero and the obedient servant once more. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. By the way, who is he looking at that moment? He is now focused not on the, on the Lord, but on the people. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out. Now, Man, wait. And no water came out because he was disobedient to God and God chastised Moses. Is that what it says? He lifted up his hand, he struck the rock, and water came out abundantly. It says actually abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. Again, a stupendous miracle. Cool, as one guy said, cool, clear water rushed forth and every one of the million Plus, people and animals drank to their fill. I mean, he was the hero. He was a gusher. But what was Earth's point of view, from heaven's perspective, Moses was an abysmal failure. He failed. In fact, it was such a severe sin that he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Verse 12, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, you didn't believe me, you got angry with the people, you didn't believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land. Huge, huge consequence because of sin. But what can we learn from him? You can be, you can be regarded as a huge success in the eyes of man and be a total failure in the eyes of God. That's what you can learn from that. People can look at us, people can look at elders and pastors and deacons, and they can look at you, and again, I'm not, we start out with elders and deacons, but you can, people can look at us and think we're a huge success, but because of our disobedience in areas of our life, we are actually a failure. And I ask you, are you obedient to God's word? That's what we're called to do, be stewards of the mystery. Not only to present it properly, but to obey it ourselves. Or let's one other subpoint. We can give people what they need and what they want. Again, in this context, cold, clear water. We can give them, as a pastor, a practical teaching from the Word of God. We can give them, you know, isn't our worship unbelievable? Love worshiping the Lord on Sundays. I worship the Lord during the week, but there's a dynamic together. See, we can do everything. Let's just say this is a, a church and yet still be a failure. We can do that as an individual and still be a failure. We, people can look at us as spiritual giants and yet God would say, no, you struck, you didn't speak. You, 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 your whole own personal life. See, God's approval is directly linked to obedience to his word. This is where we need God's spirit. Lord, am I walking with you? Because it may look like I'm real good and everybody else is happy with me, but I know the truth. No, I, I want to make sure that I'm a true uh, steward. I know the word, I present the word, I'm fed by the word, I love the God of the word, and I obey the God of the word. This is, again, where we have to, Lord, is this true of me? And third, the assessment, the evaluation of God's fellow laborers. The assessment starts in verse 3. 
See, again, remember they were uh, envious, they were jealous, factious, they were like jockeying who's best, who's number one in the kingdom. Remember the disciples did that too. But here, Paul says, you know what, I could get into that, but you know what, I'm a steward. Uh, I'm just a, a manager, I'm not the owner. And therefore, I'm under his authority. And, and in fact, I'm just a galley slave. That's how I, I have to see myself like that. Because he's the owner. He's given me the scriptures. It's all about him. I'm under compulsion to serve him. By the way, that's what keeps a person going in ministry when you see it as compulsion because you were gifted. And Lord, it's your gift that you gave to me to minister to your people. And I do not want to be looked upon as being a poor steward of what you gave me. So now Paul says, well, let me tell you how I look at others. And he doesn't do this in a disrespectful way, but this is the assessment. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. As far as humans go, what other people think about me does not determine my success. He says it's a very small thing, and the word is small in stature. So he's like this. It's like this small. I mean, it's there, but it's so insignificant. That's, that's really when it comes to me knowing... Uh, um, uh, concerned what people think? It's small in stature. <laughs> by the way, the fear of man is a huge thing in our lives. Many times we are driven by the approval and praise of others. It's not, this is, not no, is no small concept. The fear of man many times for us is huge, and the fear of God is very small. But see, Paul, it was the opposite. For you, it's just a very small thing what you think of me. No, he's saying, no. Again, there's, he wouldn't discount accountability. He wouldn't discount the fact that uh, you need to be submissive and stuff like that. But he's just saying, you know, as it really pertains to how you view me, it's just a small thing. You want to be a long-termer in any type of ministry? See people as a small thing in that sense. Your approval is just a small thing to me. I fight that. Oh, I want to be approved. I want to be praised and I want to be, you know, the kudos and accolades and slap on the back and that's human nature. But God's, or Paul says, no, no. It's the... That this is what Ed Welch said. Their approval, this is the fear of man. Their approval, opinions, or possible opinions, attitudes, or, uh, or withholding of love many times becomes the master. That's what the fear of man is. When the approval and maybe the possible even removal of the love becomes the master. And Paul says, you know, I fight that. It's... It's not about being either praised or criticized. Even when criticism comes, yes, it hurts, but that's not what I'm looking at. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the praise of people, and therefore when even the criticism comes. In fact, criticism really is a good indicator of... of how you deal with criticism is a good indicator of your true level of humility. The second thing, look at this next one, second part of verse 3. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, I see he goes from other people, but he says, you know, when it comes to myself, I don't even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself. I mean, I don't think I'm, a, I don't think I'm condemned as far as, you know, doing some obvious sin, yet I'm not justified by this. I'm not going to vindicate myself because of that. I mean, are we called to uh, self-examination? Yeah, before the Lord's table, examine yourself. But he says, listen, even then I know this, that I have a deceptive heart. And I might be looking at myself thinking, I'm really pretty good. John MacArthur said this, Spiritual introspection is dangerous. Spiritual introspection is dangerous. Known sin must be faced and confessed. That's obvious. And known shortcomings are to be prayed about and worked on for improvement. But no Christian, no matter how advanced in his faith, is able to properly evaluate his own spiritual life. Before we know it, if you try to do that too deep, we will be ranking ourselves. Do you ever rank yourself? You know, that guy is really out of the Lord's will, but I'm good. Classifying ourselves and discover that a great deal of time is being spent in thinking of nothing but ourselves. The bias is in our favor, is in our own favor. And the tendency of the flesh towards self-justification makes this a dangerous project. End quote. I like that. Yes. Now, why do I bring? Because you have to bring another point in. Man, Lord, it's dangerous for self-examination until I say this. Lord, search me and know me. Lord, your spirit is the one that has to give it. And Lord, I'm so dependent on you, I'm going to get into your word every day. And I am going to be praying that you would reveal. 
See, now it, it's not self-justification because when the Spirit knocks, when the Word... The next point. Final. What the Lord thinks and sees in me determines my success. See, it's not what other people think. It's not even what I think. It's what the Lord thinks. But he who judges me is the Lord, verse 4. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Judgment day. That's what he's getting at. In fact, you, just if, if you have your Bibles there, verse 13 of chapter 3. The day, for the day will declare it. That's what he's saying. Listen, <coughs> judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness. In other words, all the motivations and the attitudes of... Uh, of, of hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. In other words, it's, it's on that day that the Lord, who knows all, will be able to truly bring to light. And even when some may have looked at you and, and judged you wrongly, counted as a small thing, and even when you thought yourself to be okay, and maybe, or maybe the other side, and you thought, oh, I'm just a worm. No, you're the son of one of the, the sons of the king. But you know what? Let's just wait till that day. Let's get our minds off of ourselves and of what other people think and really on what the Lord, because he's the master, he's the owner, he's the one that we need to be approved of. Then each one's praise will come from God. In other words, live for future praise of God, not for the present praise of man. Get involved in ministry, not for what other people might slap you on the back, but because you are just a steward and you will be held accountable. And what is your gifts and how are you going to serve your family? And by the way, if you have a servant mentality, your marriage, if you haven't had one and you end up having a servant, will just blossom because it's no longer about you getting what you want. It's about serving your family and serving your spouse and even your grandkids. See, it's all about God's opinion. I read an interesting story of Bill Clem. I'll close with this. He was a major league baseball umpire who apparently was widely respected. He was a big guy, more than 300 pounds. Big. And when he was behind the plate, home plate, he controlled the situation. However, in one game, it got a little bit out of hand. It was a classic situation, the bottom of the ninth, the score is tied. Two outs, runner on third. The pitcher hangs a curveball. The batter hits it, goes right over the, just over the third baseman's glove. Left field picks it up. Perfect. Throws it to home. One bounce right to the catcher. I mean, it was a perfect play. The only problem was third base guy was running, and the ball... And the runner got to home plate same time. Both sides went wild. You know, emptied out on the field. It was the last play. He's out! He's safe! You know, and they got into an argument. In the midst of the confusion, this big guy, Bill Clem, throws off his umpire's mask, holds up his massive arms, and this is what he says, he ain't nothing until I call it. And when it comes to the Lord, we ain't nothing until it's His approval. Not about us. It's not about others. See, He's going to call it, but He hasn't called it yet. He's going to call it on the day of judgment. Let's stand as we worship Him.